Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I've got a really cool topic for us today, you guys. I have with us Melissa Stegnero, who's the vice president of the National American Rettenhund Sport Association. I think I got that right. Yes, Melissa? Yeah, we just call it RH for short, so we don't have to show off our bad German reading skills. Our bad German, yeah. I have German (laughs) wire-haired pointers and I'm like, I know I'm butchering this, man. <laughs> Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trupanion loves helping pets get the care they need. That's why they're excited to announce that they've officially paid out over $2 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars in veterinary claims. That's two billion reasons for more tail wags and treats. That's 730,000 pets that got the care they needed. Trepanion would like to thank all of the owners and breeders who've trusted them over the last 22 years. If you're part of the Trepanion Breeder Support Program, don't forget to register your upcoming litters for their Go Home Day offers. That way you can send them home protected by Trepanion's world-class coverage. If you're not part of the program yet, what, what, what? it's completely free to join and lets you send your litters home with an offer for a full Trupanion insurance policy that waives the waiting periods. To learn more and to sign up, just visit my partner page at puredogtalk.com. So welcome, Melissa. I'm super excited to have you join us. Thank you for having me. I'd really love for you to give us a quick introduction of what this particular FCI titled sport is about and the fact that it's something that you're kind of growing as a sport in the United States. Yes, thank you. So the activity has been around for a while. It started out of a need for some standardizations. There was an earthquake and flooding in Armenia in the late 1980s, and a lot of kind-hearted people showed up to help, and it was hard to ascertain what their skill level was. So this includes search and rescue dog handler teams, but it also included EMTs and nurses and people like that. And so sometimes the well-intentioned helpers caused a little more trouble than aiding help. So Mm -hmm. the United Nations worked with the FCI, and out of this came an international rescue dog organization. And so the rule book that we're using is an FCI IRO rule book. It's standard across the globe. Most countries other than the U.S. use this as their basis for their local community SAR teams. Got it. You know, the U.S., we like to kind of go our own way. Shocking, really? (laughs) So these are international standards. There's three sport levels that get progressively more difficult. And there's a fourth mission-ready level. So the mission-ready, if you and your dog were to complete it successfully, 
you would be a real search and rescue team certified by the FCI IRO rule books. Okay. But the three other levels are just sport. Okay. So as long as I'm understanding this correctly, this is a way for people to do titling events that could, if they stick with it and find their dog has the aptitude and they have the aptitude, take them to the point that they could do full-on search and rescue missions. Certainly. And so one avenue would be the mission ready test I mentioned, Mm -hmm. but also there's a lot of search and rescue community-based groups in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and also sheriff's departments who would be more interested in accepting a volunteer that already has the skills. Right. So in the U.S., we have many certifications for search and rescue teams. But if you came to them and said, hey, look, my dog already has these skills, then Mm they would have an easier time assessing you. Excellent. So none of the sports skills are in conflict with real search and rescue. Right. It sounded to me like a building block process. Yes. Progressively more challenging skill sets that you can earn a title for, but also progressively more accomplished dog that can do more things in the field. Would that be accurate? Definitely. Okay. And as you mentioned, There's a lot of people who are very interested in doing search and rescue, Mm -hmm. but maybe they're older and they can't travel upon a rubble pile for hours and hours. Pick me. (laughs) Maybe they have commitments at home that they can't be on call. Mm -hmm. So this sport allows you to have all the fun, do all the training, but you don't have to make that commitment. I like it. And sometimes some dogs would not be reliable to find a for real lost person, Mm -hmm. but it's fun to do the training. And, you know, if on the day of the test, there's a thunderstorm and your dog says, nope, I opt out. Well, you're not leaving an actual lost person in the lurch. Right. So, you know, everybody can be calm and no one is really at risk. I think that's really, really interesting. And an important point to make is how quite literally bomb proof search and rescue dogs have to be. Oh, yes. Well, you know, I mentioned thunderstorms. I mean, Mm -hmm. people usually aren't lost when the weather is very nice. So the dogs have to be tough, but the people also have to be very tough to be that part of the team as well. And so, Melissa, you are vice president of the organization here in the U.S. And so tell us a little bit about your background doing real search and rescue or working mostly with this particular program. So I've been doing dog sports for a couple of decades. Mm -hmm. I did do some search and rescue without a dog long ago. And I have a Dutch Shepherd that I competed with. And I was looking through a magazine and I saw a litter announcement and it had a title I had never heard of. So I looked up, checked out the rules, and I was like, my dog already knows 85% of all these skills. And I found a test, and so I started titling an RH and helping to grow the sport in the U.S. I like it. That is very cool. Well, that's what I said when we were talking off air. I'm like, I've got a dog that can do a lot of this stuff. This would be kind of a fun thing to do. So walk us through some of those, the titling exercise. So there was three levels, correct, of titling? Yes. So three levels get progressively harder, Mm -hmm. but to throw an extra variable in there, there's multiple scent options. Mm -hmm. So you could choose tracking, which is very tight in following the ground disturbance. 
can choose area search, which is a wilderness. Mm -hmm. You can do a rubble, which would be a collapsed building. Wow. You could do man trailing, which unlike tracking is following the air scent and possibly ground disturbance that the dog is using both sorts of information. There's also avalanche and also water rescue. Wow. At each of those three levels, you can choose yes. that. To, wow. Yes. So we only find live people. There's That's no good. HRD. No cadaver search. No, no. Much to the chagrin of some people. Many people want that as an option. Mm -hmm. So the water search is, there's actually no scent work there. Picture the Newfoundland or the Labrador bringing the life preserver. Mm -hmm. So as you can imagine, tracking and the wilderness and the man trailing are the three easiest for a club to host. Sure. The collapsed building is also available at many places. And then the water and the avalanche, you know, is a little bit more specialized. Right. And we have a couple members that have a little bit of an older dog and they just want to do the beginner level of tracking, beginner level of area, mm -hmm. beginner level man trailing, beginner level rubble. You know, you can mix and match. You can stay in one scent area. But the thing is, with all the variation, there's something for almost every dog. Right. And the other neat thing that it's very open to many different dog and handler teams to get the full title, you need to do obedience dexterity plus your scent option. You need okay. to do both. Okay. But if you just want to have some fun and you're like, uh, you know, my dog doesn't really like to do a downstay, you can just do the scent option. Or if you're a really obedience aficionado, I would love to just show off my dog's healing, change of positions and that sort of thing. You can just do the obedience dexterity. Interesting. And so this is an FCI title. And you were telling me earlier off air that this is an FCI title that you're working to have incorporated into AKC Pedigrees working with the parent clubs. Is that correct? Yes. Some of the parent clubs already recognize FCI titles on their AKC Pedigrees. Mm -hmm. Like IPO, that type of thing. Yes. Cool. And so this is a sport that, is it open only to purebred dogs or are mixed breed dogs available as well? So... For the competitions, for the club level and the championship competitions that ARSA puts on, all dogs are welcome, regardless of pedigree, mm -hmm. intact, not, doesn't mm -hmm. matter. For us to send folks to the FCI championship, they need to have FCI or AKC papers. Oh, okay. Perfect. So we get all these different titling options, and then there's, like, we all love to have a big year-end who daddy, right? So, <laughs> so you mentioned the FCI championship, but you also had, I thought, indicated that there is something like that available here in the States. So we have a national championship coming up this spring. And so we'll have an annual national championship. As the sport grows bigger and bigger, you know, we might have regional championships as mm -hmm. well. But yeah, so there's club level and national, and we will be sending teams to an FCI championship in the future. There's also for specific breeds, their FCI breed specialty championship also offers RH. Very cool. 
And so from what you're describing, it sounds like a little bit of a combination of agility and scent work from the things that I read through with a little bit of obedience thrown in for good measure. So there's so many companion events that people like to do and then they're maxed out. And here's another option for them to go use some of those skills. Definitely. And I would say folks that are doing AKC tracking now Mm -hmm. and have, you know, some obedience Mm -hmm. and a little bit of agility, they'll find that their dog is set up well to add a few specialty skills. So Mm -hmm. one of the specialty skills geared toward the search and rescue is healing over what's called unpleasant surfaces. So they'll have like a pallet and maybe like a chain link fence on the ground, Mm -hmm. different obstacles. Can you and your dog safely traverse this? Another one of the special obedience tasks that's tailored to search and rescue is a carry. Talk about that. I saw that in the rules. Tell me about what that entails. So in the competition, it's quite straightforward, but to give folks the idea of its usefulness, let's say you and I are on a team and we're in an urban disaster area, we're searching a collapsed building, and let's say I am injured and my dog is injured. Is my dog confident enough to have you carry him off the pile? Right. But in the competition, ideally you would pick up your dog, but if anyone is unable to pick up their own dog because the dog is ginormous and they are not, someone else can carry your dog. It's not a problem. So the handler would carry their dog about 10 steps and the friendly stranger would take the dog and carry them 10 more steps. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm going to use my avatar here. My avatar is my Bing dog. I just had him on the scale. He's an 80 pound German wire hair pointer. So I can't pick up Bing. (laughs) So, so there's somebody else that's going to be able to pick up Bing. Oh, yes. Oh, wow. Okay. And they're going to give Bing to somebody else, right? Yep. Yep. Wow. (laughs) The other great thing about this sport is we have a huge range of handlers. We have quite a few in their 70s and 80s. We have some in their 20s and kind of the same with dogs. We have some puppies that are just starting out and we have some retired dogs that have titled through in their given sport, but they still want something to do. That's what I'm thinking. Bing would be a perfect, like this would be a fun thing that he and I could do. So that's why I'm kind of walking through it with Bing as my avatar. of I can't pick up 80 pounds. We do have a short-legged terrier in our training club, and everyone loves to pick up that dog. (laughs) I mean, I could try this with my pug, but I'm not entirely sure that she'd be as good about it. (laughs) All right, so that's the carry. So you have to carry the dog, and then you have to give it to somebody else, and they have to carry it. Yes. Okay, excellent. I will say if some of your listeners are, oh my gosh, that's too much for my dog. We have trained many dogs that their handler initially had a lot of trepidation and we've had the dogs be very relaxed and legs straight and just sigh, oh, this again. Mm -hmm. I assume like training anything, it's a training mechanism. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Heads up, crew. We have a super exciting opportunity For all 291,000 of you, Uh, right? We want to hear from you. 
What products and services do you love in the dog world? Through March, you will find a link to a quick survey at puredogtalk.com to give us that information. And because I know it can seem daunting to carve five minutes out of a jam-packed day, I am prepared to bribe you. (laughs) For real, everyone who completes the survey this month will receive one free Pure Pep Talk mentoring message and be entered in a series of drawings. The grand prize winner will receive one full year paid membership in our amazing patrons group. Additional prizes include a free download of the audiobook, Auntie Laura's Beginner's Guide to Show Dogs, a free download of the first aid kit video with Dr. Marty Greer, and free Pure Dog Talk wine tumblers. So hey, take a couple minutes, swing by puredogtalk.com and complete your survey for the good of the order and a chance at some extra goodies. So I assume then that there are groups of people or clubs or gatherings around the country. So we're pretty heavy in the mid-Atlantic. We have some in the Northeast. We have some in the Pacific Northwest. We have some folks in the Dakotas, Texas, California, Arkansas. It's kind of across the board sweltering. And we have lots of resources to support new members and new club formation. I was going to say, so that if I'm in Nebraska and I want to start a club there, I can do that. Oh, yes. And we're going to support you financially and with a lot of information too. Cool. That's really fun. And so this sounds like scent work, you know, something you don't need a ton of money to be able to participate in. This isn't like horseback field trials where you need a horse and a horse trailer, (laughs) things like that. No, ideally you need some friends. Yeah. If you do tracking, that can be mostly on your own Mm -hmm. and on your own time schedule. Mm -hmm. But to have somebody pretend to be lost, it helps to have a couple people. But no, you don't need too much to get started. There's some equipment in the higher levels. There's a horizontal ladder that the dog traverses. Mm -hmm. So some things like that, but it's pretty minimal. Excellent. And so the horizontal ladder, I assume the ladder's like laid down and they have to kind of walk across it. Yes. So what are some of the other interesting and challenging things that the dogs will do in some of these tests? Some of the fun stuff. Yep. So there are some obstacles there, like the ladder is one. There's a plank. And at the beginner level, it's just a piece of wood on some cinder blocks and the dog jumps up, halts and traverses it. At the intermediate level, it's the same plank, but on two barrels. Mm. So as the dog jumps on, their momentum pushes the plank a little bit, Mm. and they have to halt. And then as they walk forward and then jump off, the plank is going to move a bit more. Mm. And at the most advanced level, it's like a swing. So like a plank and on a rope. So the same, the dog jumps up, and now the swing moves a bit. And the dog goes across, and as they exit, the swing again moves a bit. Interesting. The obedience is very straightforward, on-leash, off-leash, down-stay, change of positions, recall. One exercise that's a little bit different is 
part of the healing includes healing around dogs and people. Mm-hmm. So in the test, we'll have a friendly female dog and a friendly male dog and the handler of the dog doing the downstay and the fourth person there. And the working team has to do a figure eight and heal around the other two dogs and show control. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, basically, from the sounds of it, the types of things that you're going to encounter in a legitimate search and rescue situation. Yep. And we have some noises. And during the searches, sometimes Mm -hmm. there'll be leaf blowers and other things to, you know, especially for a collapsed building. Right. The dog is going to be working in this one sector and you're possibly going to have heavy machinery in another sector to start moving things. And the dog has to be comfortable with those noises and the smells of the machinery and Mm -hmm. still be happy to work. Able to concentrate mostly. Yep. Excellent. I just feel like this is a fun thing for people to look at that are, okay, I've done my scent work. I'm already through that, or I've done my barn hunt and I'm looking for something a little more interesting. So talk about some of the things that we can do at home. If we have a dog that we want to start thinking about this, what are some say three exercises you can start training at home right now today as you're building your ARSA club? So I'm going to start off with an obedience exercise that sounds very simple, but (laughs) it's not intuitive to dogs. Okay. So depending on the size of your dog, maybe like a climb table or any small platform, big enough for the dog to mount with all four feet, but doesn't have to be any sort of special equipment. With you standing six inches from your target board, can you tell them, and you can't move, can you tell them to mount it and stay oriented in the direction of travel? Oh, so not turn to face you. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. So can you say, mount it and halt, and Mm. they're still facing the way they were going? Ooh, that's actually super hard. Like all of my dogs will go up like on a grooming table. So that's, I'm back to my avatar. I'm back to Bing. Bing, go get on the table. That's not a problem. Bing, get on the table and keep facing forward and not look at me. Wow, that's tough. Yep. So that's something, you know, most people don't train for. They're kind of assuming the dog is going to turn and orient to them. Right. Another fun exercise you can start now is start thinking about what you want the alert to be. What are your dog's strengths? Mm. So a very common alert is a bark alert. So the dog finds the person and stays near the person, ideally not touching them, and says bark, 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 bark for a long time. Bing could do that one. Totally. (laughs) Until the handler makes its way all the way to the person. Some dogs don't want to stay with the person. Maybe it's too exciting or a little Mm -hmm. too intimidating. Mm -hmm. Some dogs would prefer to toggle back and forth between the hider and the owner. So we have two versions of that. One is called the find-refind. So in a typical test, the dog would toggle between the hider and the handler three or more times. So it would run off leash, find the person and say, oh, I have found them. 
not touch the hider, run back to the handler, and would do something at the handler. Mm. The something might be bark at the handler. It might be put front paws on the handler's chest. It might be sit and look in a very special way. It might be grab what's called an American Bringsel, grab a special little thing attached to the handler. Something to say, I have found the person, follow me. Mm-hmm. And then say, you know, good job. And the dog goes back to the victim as the handler follows. And the dog goes back and forth three or more times. Interesting. And so what kind of distance are we talking about? So when we do, I was somewhat involved with bloodhounds many, many millions of years ago, and they're tracking and harness. So here you're talking about a dog that's tracking off lead, finding someone off lead. How far away are they going to find that person from their handler? So it depends on the level and depends on the speed of the dog and the walking speed of the handler. Right. It could be 200 meters away. Okay. In which case you better have a strong bark. (laughs) (laughs) Bing's still doing good on this one. I got this. (laughs) But yeah, the toggle back and forth, yeah, you need a dog motivated enough to go Mm -hmm. a few times. Mm -hmm. We have another version of the back and forth called a bringsel. And in that case, the dog is wearing a special stick. It could be made out of leather, fleece, antler, plastic. Like on its collar or on a harness or something? Exactly. On a neck collar. And so the dog runs, finds the person, flips the bringsel into its mouth, runs back to the handler, and the dog appearing with this special stick in its mouth says, I found the person. Interesting. And then do I grab the who daddy and follow him back? Exactly. And I love the backstory with the bringsel. So in the First World War, Both sides were using dogs to look for wounded. Mm -hmm. And so they had trained the dogs to pull a patch or get a hat or something off the uniform. Mm -hmm. So they know, is this one of ours? Should we send help? And some of the dogs got so aroused and frustrated when they couldn't find a patch or a hat. And they ended up scalping the person because they were told to bring something back and they wanted to be a very good dog and bring something back. Oh no. So then they changed to the Bringsel. <laughs> oh my God. That is a heck of a story right there. <laughs> wow. And so I want to know how do they flip the thing into their mouth? It's just dangling on their collar and they just go whoop. Yep. Yep. Wow. Cool. Okay, so I got to teach Bing how to put something in his mouth from his collar. I don't know about that one. He can do the bark alert. Oh, he's totally got that. (laughs) Okay, so what's our third one? Our third thing we're going to teach him. Oh, the third thing. Well, I can tell you how to get started with Carrie. And those of you who have big dogs and you're a little worried, you're going to set yourself up in a very comfortable chair where your back is supported And your dog is going to be on a raised surface and you're just going to prepare the dog. Maybe you're going to say carry or whatever, just so they know it's coming. You're just going to try putting your hands as if you're going to elevate them, but you're not. But you're going to kind of 
see where they are. Are they very wiggly? Are they nervous? Are they going to just play? Mm-hmm. And you're going to lift them. Their forefeet are still going to be on there, but you're going to maybe hold their weight just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you're going to see how they prefer to be carried. Some dogs have this big chest and they're kind of top heavy. So do you want to be kind of behind their front legs or in front of their front legs? Do you want to be behind their back legs or in front of their back legs? So you can lift them, even if you can't get any of the feet off your table, Mm -hmm. but you can kind of take their weight and see what they feel more secure with. Oftentimes, dogs like a third point of contact. So your two arms plus kind of your neck, mm-hmm. you know, so they're not worried that they're going to fall off. So that would be an easy exercise that you could just kind of play with. You know, I've had dogs that have had injuries and, you know, have gone through physical rehab mm-hmm. and I have stairs that aren't carpeted. Mm-hmm. So that's a great skill to have a dog that's comfortable being carried is not going to wiggle out of your arms, either in nervousness or because they think we're playing. So the carry is very useful, even if you're never to do search and rescue type work. Well, I think it's actually really, really valuable having, I have hunting dogs and you take them out and you're hunting. I had one break a leg in the field, green stick fracture, chasing a deer because a dumb teenage boy, right? And it was another big wire hair male. I'm like, I can't carry this dog out of here. He had to walk out on a broken leg. So teaching a dog how to be carried and yourself, how you can physically do that, I think is an incredibly valuable skill for a lot of people. Yep. And, you know, sometimes vets will let you have the dog before they're totally out of anesthesia. If you can carry them from there into the car and from the car. So it is a good skill to have. I love it. Okay. All right. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for telling us about this cool sport that's available. We're going to have links, you guys, in the show notes on the website that will let you see all these rules and see some videos and all kinds of cool stuff that you can do. And I know I've got a lot of listeners who are really active in a lot of sports, and I'm thinking that this could be something fun to add to the repertoire. Thanks so much. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk. 